What's up? What's up? Another week, another podcast. This is your favorite football podcast, the Football Academy. I'm your Sapoon tonight with Braden. How's it going, sir? It's good. Um, Arsenal got two wins in a row. I, I don't know what to do with myself. It's brave <laughs> new territory. I know. I mean, uh, it was an impressive win to uh, essentially ensure that, that you guys are not going to. I mean, you beat Brighton. It's it true. looked more impressive. Lacazette scored. That was impressive. As far as uh, the week goes, a lot of things to talk about. We'll dip right into the betting to see how we did for last weekend. But uh, I guess we'll cover what happened with COVID, games getting canceled. I mean, I know the Premier League's been on and been bulldozing through the schedule as they would like. But COVID is still real. COVID's still here. Players don't get preferential treatment to get the vaccine. So uh, things could get very, very interesting, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's definitely uh, when I started tabulating our betting results, I uh, I looked at we we both got uh, three matches right. Uh, it was it wasn't that bad of a week for us. Uh, it was a little unfortunate because you had two fifty on the Spurs full of match, which greatly skewed uh, how all of our results go. So it's, it's not really worth going over the money, uh, so to speak, because I think if both of those games had played, we both would have had a pretty good shot of of going positive, um, but. You know, we both got three right. Um, COVID obviously threw a monkey wrench into things as well as uh, some other things we'll talk about here shortly. Yeah, and uh, I think we should uh, dive right in with the two games that did get canceled. You had Manchester City come out with, uh, you know, positive cases in Kyle Walker and uh, Gabriel Jesus. And then you had uh, Spurs Fulham today that got canceled as well which was funny for me because, I mean, Mourinho put an Instagram post of uh, his players and him just sitting in their team hotel and not knowing whether a game was about to happen or not. And I I think the organization uh, that for all the American college football fans, the way Big Ten went about organizing their uh, college football season, the Premier League seemed to have done a better job. But both of them really fucked up by not having a contingency plan of what happens when situations like this occur and i think it's a very tough task now for the premier league to really figure out because unless you're gonna force manchester city to like play within a festive schedule again some point in the middle of the season um this is looking very very um nasty in in the way the fixtures are going to come back up for them yeah it's gonna be really tough to make up because i mean we're not even talking about what happens with the upcoming matches but you know, they're now on 14 games played with while the rest of the league is at 16. And so, you know, when you think about how you've got to schedule that and how you've got to catch up, it, it gets really tough, especially for a team that you're expecting to, you know, they're in the League Cup. They're expecting probably to go on a pretty deep FA Cup run. They're expected to go on a decently strong Champions League run, despite the jokes that we'll make about City uh, in the Champions League. But it's hard to see where they're going to find time for this match. And it, you know, it leaves a lot of other clubs in limbo too. Like Everton, I'm sure doesn't want to have to reschedule this fixture, even if it's, uh, it, you know, even if maybe they get a little bit more rest than they would have expected to going into this next week, but it just, it throws a lot of chaos into the mix. Yeah. And I mean, as far as Tottenham goes, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a Tottenham fan and if they, as long as they win their uh, FA Cup game um, that's coming up in a week or so, they will not have a free midweek really like 
time to schedule the games, unless the next international break, where I don't know what the fuck we're doing, another international break, is cancelled, and then you kind of fix in the games in there. And it's becoming a scene where I think we will need to talk about how the Premier League handles what happens when X amount of players are out. But again, the the question in, in that situation will become that, say three players test a positive on Wednesday and the game's supposed to happen on Saturday, you will have to test the rest of the squad every single day. And then it very well could happen that on Sunday that there's a player from your team that tests positive and then now there's another whole situation. So there isn't a good answer. And I'm trying to be all smart and trying to think of an answer that would fit all the requirements. But unless you just cancel Euro 2021 at this point and figure a way out to just play the games in the summer and delay the whole thing, the way even, I mean, the Super Bowl has four contingent weeks. Like, that's unheard of, you know? So to have that in the Premier League, to have a couple of weeks at the end where, say, you have to make up something, the Champions League shifts back a little bit, I think those are things that we can talk about. But as the schedule stands, man, it, it absolutely sucks to be a European player right now. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And, you know, the Super Bowl is kind of one thing because it's one league making a decision for that league, which is the only thing it's really concerned about. Like the NFL doesn't have continental competition to worry about, but there's a lot of moving parts for the Premier League to figure out. And so it's not, it's also not just the Premier League. Like a lot of these decisions are going to have ripple effects down the pyramid. And so like we can talk about things that work maybe for like the big clubs and things that kind of work in the sense of the Premier League only, but when you think about the other leagues that this has ramifications for, uh, it, it's not this isn't everything that might work for the Premier League won't work in League Two. I don't know. It's going to be tough to to figure out because I don't know. Like you said, there's no midweek schedules. It was already a compressed schedule. I, I'm kind of with you. Like this is kind of currently only a thing in England. So I kind of think the rest of UEFA might tell England to pound sand on this. But and that is their problem to figure out. But I don't know. We'll we'll see if this becomes a bigger spike that causes things like the international fixtures to get canceled and that sort of thing. So, w- w- do you see a possibility that England t- English teams are just told to fuck off from the Champions League? That's that's an interesting possibility. I hadn't considered that, but I could see it. Right, like there, especially when you think about Brexit, like there's a good chance that yeah. the European Union might say, no, we're not. Because ultimately, like we can talk football aside, but one of the things that Brexit does have a huge control over is the way the free movement of the people that, in moving around in different countries. And given what's the COVID cases that have risen, I do think it could be very interesting, say, going into a Champions League week, say the same thing happened to a couple of Man City players. Like, are you still going to force them to play? Are the, the whole squad can't come in? Because there are rules for these countries where you have to quarantine for 14 days, right? So um, it's going to get very interesting, but uh, we can do a whole different podcast about this and we'll call it the COVID Academy. But we don't need to go too much in depth with this. The last thing we'll say, Premier League officially released a statement saying, they have not discussed at any po- any point of um, having a break in the season, which, as we discussed off air, 
seems like an uh, a, a weird thing to do if you're not going to change anything ultimately just to like stop everything for two weeks and on top of that um they said they do not plan at all to have that discussion which you can have your own opinions we'll have ours but i i think if a couple other big teams get affected it is going to it has to be a conversation at that point and we will start at that 2021 at an earlier point of cancellation and null and void the league than uh we started in the 2019-2020 season finally Having get the that, uh liverpool title voided i know right i mean there is a possibility i will look like an absolute idiot if uh man united end up at top of the table and then it's like <laughs> oh yeah we need to null and void the season boys but having said that, let's get into the games. That's what you're here for. Uh, the first game, Crystal Palace won. Leicester City won. Um, Leicester with a bit of a rotated lineup. No Jamie Vardy to uh, start the game. Kind of evident in the way that Nacho ended up missing the penalty. Crystal Palace won. Leicester City won. It seemed like Leicester City were a bit tired, in my opinion. Um, that's why the rotation happened, and they still didn't really look up for the task. Guetta had an amazing game, uh, which made sure it was 1-1. And um, outside of it, I think Zaha did what Zaha does for Palace. And that that was pretty much my takeaway from the game. Yeah, I think that's pretty much right. Uh, Guaid is one of the best keepers in the Premier League. Uh, and, and no matter what team we're talking about, he just is consistently, if you look at any advanced metrics, uh, consistently one of the better keepers in the league in there. You know, I, I think you're 100% right. It's mostly about uh, Leicester rotated. I think they felt they could get away with it against a Palace team, especially one that I uh, kind of, as we mentioned in the preview show, had uh, surrendered 10 goals in the last two matches, and they just couldn't get done without Vardy, and I think that just shows you how important Vardy is to this team. Uh, it's a team that doesn't create a ton of chances, but uh, it they rely on their goal scorer and Jamie Vardy, Vardy, who can uh, who can score those low XG chances, and you know without him, they don't really look like they know what to do, more or less. Yeah, and I think uh, as far as far as giving Brendan Rodgers credit, he deserves it because of where they are um, as Leicester City. But I mean, this is another one of those situations where they are very Jamie Vardy dependent to score the goals. They. And ultimately, Harrison Barnes, um, oh, sorry, not Harrison Barnes, Harvey Barnes, um, is is a very is becoming a very good player. But they need somebody better than Nacho to be the backup for Jamie Vardy. And we'll see moving into the January transfer window if um, that does happen. But what do you make of Crystal Palace's outlook for the season? They'll be, I'm assuming, mid-table. They're not getting dragged into relegation fodder. They're not going to be up with the big boys. So where do you really think uh, they're going to end up? Yeah, it's tough to figure out exactly uh, where Palace are going to be because there are times they look just a miserable team and then uh, they come out and get a result like this that, you know, like you said, Leicester rotated, that sort of thing. But even with that, you wouldn't necessarily expect Palace to get the draw here. I, you know, like you said, I think they're going to be solidly mid-table. I don't think they'll have any chance of getting dragged into relegation like you said but i earlier in the season when they had a few results i thought they might make a push into the top half and i think that's clearly not going to happen at this point they're just i don't know i think they're too old in defense like i i think their central defense is just a little bit 
on the on the over the hill end, and I think that's going to keep them from really, really making that next step. Yeah, their defense must be really bad when an Arsenal fan starts sitting on it. Um, having said that, I I will say um, I don't think it was uh, outlier what they did early on in the season. I just think they were more prepared to begin the season um, compared to quite a few of the other teams uh, that they were playing. Having said that, moving from a 1-1 draw in Crystal Palace to a 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge, Aston Villa coming back, get a point at Chelsea. The first half kind of and was exactly how I expected the half to, the game to go. I told you in, in the preview podcast, if you haven't listened, you can go listen to Oracle Sapoon out there just giving you all the information. And then the second half, I don't know what the fuck happened with Chelsea. They just did not look good enough, in my opinion. Yeah, it's really hard to disagree with that. It's just the second half of this Chelsea uh, team just didn't look good at all. Villa pretty much dominated the whole second half. And credit Chelsea for coming out strong. Pulisic uh, missed a big chance uh, in the first half that I think might have put this game away. But Villa were good enough to to come back and you know, get a big goal with El Ghazi, who just can't seem to stop scoring right now. Like That's been a surprise uh, introduction of this team of a guy who just, he got plugged back in and has just been on a tear ever since. And it's another good piece of uh, goal threat for Aston Villa, who, you know, from last year, who didn't really have anyone other than Jack Grealish, who looked like they could score, now have, you know, Watkins, El Ghazi, Traore, like they have a lot of guys who are legitimate threats up front now. Yeah, and I mean, it's good to watch uh, so many different threats for them and just how many options and uh, weapons Dean Smith has in front of him. The The question is becoming, though, if I if I asked you right now between these two teams, who's going to finish higher? I think it's Villa. Oh, damn. I mean, I, I think Chelsea have been playing well, uh, to be very frank. I mean, about Frank Lampard's team. Um, the, the XG suggests that they should have won a couple of games that they have ended up losing. But again, that normally happens when you don't have goal scorers. And after spending $220 million, not a lot of people going to cut him a lot of slack about um, not having a goal scorer. So we will see how the Chelsea season progresses. They have a big game coming up, depending on whether it happens or not. Um, Aston Villa also have a big game coming up. Um, so I think now is the business end of the season. And the, both these teams, uh, whichever finishes higher, is going to start clicking on. And whichever is going to kind of uh, have some uncertain results is probably going to fall off. Because again, as we have said over and over again, table's really close. Because at one point, Chelsea were title contenders. They were top of the table. And now after being a relegation threatened, here are Arsenal with a 1-0 win at Brighton, six points behind Chelsea, a big, big win for Arsenal. In my opinion, they needed this. And it, it is good to know that Arsenal can start to win some games. With, it doesn't matter at this time whether the performance was amazing or um, you know some XYZ player did something wild. Getting the three points, because as Arteta said in his po- post-match press conference, winning cures it all. And it really does, because ultimately, if you start winning, performances can be worried about later. Three points is what everybody wants to see. Yeah, I think that's right. And so we talked about it. I forget which one, which game. Maybe it's the Everton match that we talked about that 
Arsenal looked a little bit better, but it just didn't uh, come off for them in that game. And I think this was kind of the opposite. Like Arsenal looked better and they got the payoff for it. Um, Lacazette missed a big chance uh, early at the start of the second half. Uh, and I, I kind of was worried that that might be our one chance because Arsenal don't create a lot of chances here. But, you know, it's another really good game for Bakayo Saka. And this team is really looking like they've kind of found something with these youngsters. And, you know, I know some of that hand has been forced because uh, Gabrielle tasted, tested positive for COVID. And then William and uh, David Lees were uh, scare quotes sick. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I take from that what you will. I don't know if that was a, um, I don't know if that's a COVID exposure or, or, or what, or they're just being extra careful. Uh, but our tennis hand was kind of forced with this and these kids have come out and shown that they're capable of playing. Um, so, you know, you can't, you can't go overboard with some of these guys, especially Smith Rose had a, a pretty long injury history, even for being a young kid. You got to like what you see if you're an Arsenal fan. Absolutely. And I think uh, I had heard a lot about Smithrow when I saw him a couple of times. He looked very impressive and injuries had been keeping him back from what I had heard. So it is very good to see him. And honestly, like the I think the XG difference was almost 0.5 uh, between Arsenal and Brighton in this situation. So it tells you that Arsenal were the better team. And Brighton, again, are this team that just do, do not know how to score. And I hope it doesn't end up costing them because I think in much like what happened with uh, Aston Villa, where they survived, got some good players, suddenly seem like a much better squad. Brighton looked like a team that can do that. However, um, as things stand, I mean, they have to learn how to start at least drawing games against the big teams and um, starting to win games against the smaller teams because... There is a chance now with the way Fulham's playing, with the way West Brom's playing, that Brighton could just get dragged into the relegation zone along with them. Having said that, uh, good on Arsenal. We'll, we'll see how the upcoming game goes. Uh, moving on to the next game, Burnley won Sheffield United. Nail. I mean, Burnley... We should have won against Sheffield United, in my opinion. Sheffield United just are that bad right now. And Burnley are a team where when it comes down to it, when it's a relegation six-pointer, they'll nick a 1-0 one, one way or the other. Yeah, and they do it off a set piece, just like Sean Dyche would want. So, uh, you know, that's kind of long and short of it. Is Sheffield are just not a good team right now uh, in, in any any way you want to put it. And... I don't know that Burnley are, but they're they're solid enough at the back that they're just confident kind of playing their game and confident that they would get a set piece and very happy to see us out at 1-0. There's not really that much more to break down this. Uh, Burnley did what Burnley does, and we've said that for a couple matches now, I feel like. Yeah. And, and maybe Burnley are getting back to... We, we talked earlier in the season of Burnley might be a team that's relegation-threatened. I don't know that they're quite out of that yet, but they're they're looking like they're getting back to the team that will kind of finish 14th or so be perfectly fine. And you know, they're, they may not push forward much, but they're going to be a pretty solidly safe from relegation. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what you get out of Sean Dash as a manager at the end of the day, that he is going to be able to get you these results when you need them. And it didn't look very good early on in the season, but now 
they finally look somewhat decent and uh, ready to go on. Moving on to the next game, Southampton nil, West Ham United nil. I mean, it, it was an quote-unquote entertaining game, I guess. Um, for the fans who watched it, I was not very keen on watching this game. Um, West Ham did have a higher XG than Southampton, which was kind of unexpected. But at the end of the day, you don't get the points. You don't get the points. Southampton starting to look a little bit shaky in terms of what has been going on with them. So we will have to see how both these teams rebound. But West Ham look like a team that could very well threaten for a top 10 position this year. Yeah, I think you have to consider them as a team that will threaten there. Uh, we talked about before with Dennings having the injury that um, – we were concerned about how Southampton were going to score and Dennings played the full 90 in this match. And they all, they still had trouble breaking down. Uh, David Moyes has really organized this West Ham team and this defense in particular. I think when I saw the team last year, I think they struggled a good bit with just being a solid team at the back and building a platform. But I, I think that, I don't know, they're just a much more organized defense and nothing has really changed personnel wise back there. And they have the talent to, Nick a goal here and there. Like they've got Benarama missed a really good chance right at the end of this match. That could have changed some things, but I lot of credit to West Ham. I didn't think they had much of a shot in this match, and they definitely proved me wrong. There's pretty solid squad. Yeah. And um I think Southampton, as we keep talking about, they need to do more in front of goal. And it's not always gonna work out with the James Ward Prowse set pieces and Danny Ings doing his thing. So we shall see how both of these teams kind of move forward with, uh, I think West Ham are taking on Everton who will, be, who have had a longer rest. So it, that should be a very, very cracking game uh, to kick us off for the 2021 part of this season. Moving on to the next game, Leeds United five West Brom nil Leeds becoming the first team in premier league to have scored five goals, both at home and away in the same season. Leeds XG was 1.54 but they ended up scoring five. And this is what you get from a team like Leeds, where when they get going early, when they start doing things early, they will just terrorize you for the next 90 minutes. And West Brom just don't have the quality in that situation, in my opinion, to come back and you know hurt Leeds in the way they will leave gaps at the back. And that's what you saw. West Brom just crumbled. Leeds just popped off one after the other. And uh, I mean, halftime, the game was over. But, you know, Leeds gave it their all for 90 minutes. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think this is a West Brom team that is very set up to uh, keep it nil-nil as long as they can. And then I uh, hope to get something in the last, like, 20 minutes or so. And I I think you saw with Leeds that they're a team, and, and this is kind of a continuation of some things we've talked about, they're a team that creates a lot of chances of varying quality. Uh, but there are days where it's just going in for them. Like they can absolutely bury you because they take a lot of shots. And so, you know, if it's just going in that day, you can get a result like this. Like it's like you said, the XG was 1.54. The chances weren't that good, but you know, some of the goals were just absolute bangers in this game. So full credit to Leeds West Brom. Like you said, I think once they got down, they never really had a chance of coming back. And I think, you kind of saw that after the second goal went in that there was just no real, there was no real path back. Yeah, and I think uh, as far as this game has go, uh, gone, um, with the result that it ended up being, there was a lot of you know talk outside of it as far as Leeds as a club went because they had a situation where they clipped up 
a lady who had given her opinion uh, about Leeds United and the social media team that they're thinking of saying like how wrong she was and then kind of subjected her to the abuse, which it, it was interesting to me because it happens a lot in American uh, sports where the official accounts of these teams will clip up a TV presenter who said that something cannot happen and it ends up happening. However, English fans, you know, they are not very nice when things like that happen. So, uh, you know, if you want to go criticize somebody about what they have to say, bro, criticize about what they said. Don't make it about their gender. Don't make it about, um, like, her being a female and so on and so forth. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, don't worry. You're not missing much. A lot of off-the-field social media nonsense went on as far as this game, as far as Leeds United goes. But congratulations to them for winning their last game of 2020 and being back in the Premier League. Having said that, West Brom, man, if this was Anfield, I would guarantee you Big Sam probably gets a result. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I, I mean... I, they, ca- they came to play the big teams, and so that that Arsenal have West Brom next, and there's few managers who really relish uh, beating Arsenal more than Big Sam does. Tony Pulis was one of those, uh, and so I, I have some concerns about that. But I think you're right. I think Big Sam definitely gets them up for those big matches. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just weren't ready for this one or it's too quick of a turnaround from Boxing Day. Yeah, I mean, it ended up not being so great for them, but I'm sure they'll bounce back. And as we said, Leeds are a team that uh, things like this might happen every now and then. Moving on to the final game of the day, uh, Manchester United at home beating Wolverhampton Wanderers. Man United won Wolves nil. One of the the luckier goals of the weekend, I'll say, for Rashford at the very end. Bruno with a brilliant pass to make the whole thing happen. Assisted against his own countrymen. So, um, you know, it's uh, probably very upsetting for all his teammates. But United won. Wolves nil. I'm just going to keep repeating it because that game put us within three points of Liverpool Football Club. At the time, we were two points of Liverpool Football Club. Before I pop off about certain things, what do you have to say about the game, about either one of the two teams? Yeah, so I if I was laughing there for a second because at first I thought you said feeding Wolves 1-0 with uh, Rashford's goal. I, I had a good chuckle at that. Um, final goal was lucky how it went in, but I think United were definitely the better team overall for this game. If you look at XG, it pretty much reflects that 1.48 to 0.41. United, I think, deserve to win this game, and that's kind of we saw. If you keep knocking at the door, eventually one will go in, and sometimes it's a luck one like this. Absolutely, and I think the more important part to remember, and I, I think a lot of United fans have forgotten this over the past couple of years. Under Sir Alex, all these great Liverpool, Man City teams, they aren't a hundred percent all the fucking time. They don't play absolutely breathtaking football every single game. There are games you don't do well, and there and you just win. And this seemed like one of those. I kept texting one of my friends saying, like, yo, if we were title challengers, this is a game you win. If we were title challengers, you win this game late. We're not title challengers, but we did end up winning the game very, very late. And I think a lot of people, the and the, the reason United aren't considered as great, because at one point Chelsea were title favorites, at one point, uh, Spurs were considered title favorites and so on and so forth. For me, 
I listened to ESPN FC after this game. I listened to what the two Robbies had to say after this game. And I actually went like looking around for a lot of people who had been wrong on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so far on what they had to say. And it's hilarious to me that when Lampard beats Burnley, Lampard beats a bunch of shit teams to take Chelsea top of the table. Oh, look, he's a great English manager who's doing phenomenal things. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is out there second with this team. But no, they're not going to give him credit because it wasn't an amazing performance against the Wolverhampton Wonders team. And I think a lot of people need to understand sometimes you're wrong. And maybe in the grand scheme of things, you turn out to be right in 24 months from now or 12 months from now. But right now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing a great job. So fucking put some respect on his name. And I don't know if we are title challengers. I'm going to ask that question to you if we are title challengers. But... It just feels nice as a Man United fan. We started the year off last season uh, to, when we started for the 19-20 season. Uh, we were 27 points behind the league leaders. And, and to go into 2021, three points behind the league leaders, that, in my eyes, is progress. Yeah, I I think it's kind of ridiculous that you don't consider yourself a title challenger. You're, you have a game in hand and you're three points behind like that. We're 16 matches into the season now. Like, this is no longer when we're talking about, like, the first seven, eight weeks or so. You know, the the table's still kind of shaking itself out. Like, this is kind of what the table is. Now, I would caveat that with, I I think there's a lot of teams that should consider themselves title challengers. Like, there are 10 teams with, or excuse me, 11 teams within 10 points of the leaders. Like, uh, you know... A lot of those, like, Leeds isn't going to make up 10 points on Liverpool. Like, that's fine. But this is a very compressed table. And I think that there's a lot of... A lot of teams are struggling at this point to create any kind of separation. And so any team that can go on a, a lengthy run of just put... Like, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a fully unbeaten run. Like, if you can get, you know, 15 points out of 18... I I think you can do that a couple times and you're going to move up the table really fast when you look at this. Cause there's just a lot of teams that haven't really figured it out yet. I don't know if that changes in January, if there's new signings that come in, that sort of things that kind of fully shape teams. But right, right now there's a lot of teams that should consider themselves title challengers and United are squarely one of them in my opinion. So the reason I am not I'm not going to consider us title challengers until match day 17. We have Aston Villa at home coming up because I ultimately a title challenger will be Aston Villa, fair and square. Like I know they're if they win their game in hand, they are a fucking point behind us, equal on equal with Leicester. So like I said, the table is compressed. United's gone on a good run. All I'm saying is, let's win the next game, and. Let's set up. Let's set up a showdown at Anfield, where if you go in there and beat them for the first time in however fucking many years that they haven't lost, you are top of the table. Then I'll be like, hey, they're title challengers. Because I'm because United still hasn't had a moment where I'm like, hey, that is amazing. This is and maybe it happens because they are second in the table without, you know, Rashford really. Rashford has done well recently. Martial has one goal in the Premier League. Greenwood's goal got one goal in the Premier League. So all those things considered. However, Wolves, a very young team, which is why I guess like Rashford wanted to feed the kids. But having said that, I thought the Wolves players, man, like overall, Neto, Pons, when he came on, uh, everyone looks good. 
the only player on Wolves that looks really miserable right now and just is not having a good time is the man who everybody thought was about to be like 150 million signing a couple of uh, not not even couple last year this time everybody thought he was 150 million man in Adama Traore so kind of weird how quickly football can change yeah i think that the i think that he's been in some sort of unrest this season because he's been played in a few different positions he's been not starting matches i i don't know exactly what's going on there because there seems to be something more than just he goes from wolf because wolves were the team that said if you want Traore, he's going to cost 150 million like that that's kind of what the rumors came out of you know the sources that wolves kind of operate through and so it just seems odd to me that you slap that kind of price tag on him and then doesn't start a lot of matches doesn't really get a featured role when he's in there like something there just doesn't seem quite right and so i don't know if there was any sort of maybe he was angling for a move and that rubbed people the wrong way like i I, I don't know, but there's something there that just has not seemed quite right, like, like you said, since the start of this season at all. Absolutely, and um, I think there has to be something that gets figured out with him because he's too integral part of that team, and when he's not doing well, this is what happens. Uh, one final thing I would like to say, because I already mentioned uh, I watched ESPN FC, Craig Burnley, Craig Burley, whatever the fuck his name is, bro, this Wolves team beat Chelsea, your boys, when they didn't have Raul Jimenez. So, like, stop trying to, like, talk shit about every win that Manchester United has. Not trying to talk shit about Chelsea, by the way. Just trying to talk shit about this guy who I think has half the knowledge we do and gets paid twice the... Well, not even twice. He gets paid more than we do. Infinite we don't get paid more. anything. We don't get paid anything. It's infinity more than we do. <laughs> so, like, come on. He has a fucking job and we don't. Like, fuck off, dude. You, des- you do not deserve to be on ESPN, but neither does the most of that cast. So having said that, I'll really welcome all of you onto this podcast just to have a discussion about how shitty your analysis is. Having said that, let's move on to the final game of the week that happened. Newcastle, nil, Liverpool, nil. Salah had an absolutely blinding opportunity to make it 1-0. Uh Newcastle's goalkeeper had an absolute blinder. Allison had a great save. Outside of that, a pretty ordinary game. Like, there were moments for both teams that they could have taken the lead and maybe the things would have changed. But Newcastle probably celebrated this like three points. And Liverpool, this is their second back to back draw, third draw in four games. Not looking good. Yeah. I mean, for all that we've talked about with Liverpool, kind of. We thought maybe this would be an opportunity for them to separate a little bit. Uh, they've just gotten claw- clawed right back into uh, in, into the mess with a bunch of teams. And so, if you look at if you look at the table, I, I want to say we're on pace for a champion at around like seventy two, seventy three points or so. Um, and it's going to be a really weird thing to figure out. But going back to this game, yeah, it's it's really hard to figure Steve Bruce out. Like it's it's Newcastle are a team that's capable of losing, drawing, or beating any team in this league. Like it, it's hard to figure out what they're going to do match to match, um, whether they're up for it or not. Or I, I don't know. Like it, Liverpool weren't that much better in this game. Like I thought it was pretty even. Liverpool were probably a little better. They created a few better chances, but 
like you said, Dubrovka or Darlo. Sorry, not Dubrovka. Darlo had a great game. Sometimes that's the difference. Yeah, and um, primarily for me, when I'm looking at even the XG right now, one point three two for Liverpool to point eight two for uh, Newcastle. That's not that much for a team like Liverpool to be dominating against a team like Newcastle, which, you know, at home, I think ultimately the quick turnarounds have really helped out some of the teams who like to play defensive, like to, you know, live on the edge to get a draw. And this is, again, one of those situations. But the one thing I see for Liverpool that has kind of amazed me is they last year were winning so many games which they shouldn't have, but they just kept on piling on and on and on, and they would win it 3-2, they'd win it 1-0, 2-1, whatever the scoreline may be. This season, those games are ending up as draws. I think that is the big difference of why they haven't been able to expand their gap. And again, Virgil van Dijk's out, Thiago's back, good for him. Nice to see you play football again. I don't know what the ceiling of this Liverpool team is. People have to consider to win the league, but they're not going to win it by the margin they did last year. So we shall see what happens when they're actually in a title race because the last time they were, they lost to a team. Yeah, I so. I fully agree with that. Like, this is the, it's going to be a title challenge this year, and it might be several teams that are pushing yeah. for it. Like, it's, it's, it's just so compressed in any team. Like we said, any team that kind of gets their act together for a few games can really you know, make a run at it. And so the draws aren't going to be good enough. Like there's going to come a time in the season where a draw is pretty much a loss. And this is a match that Liverpool really needs to win. Kind of like what you talked about with, if you're a title contending team, you beat Wolves. If you're a title contending team, you've got to figure you would beat Newcastle. But, you know, sometimes things just don't work out and, and you go move on to the next match and it's fine. But like you said, lots of draws in the last few matches, and you wonder if some of the injuries and some of the tired legs, especially with the way that Liverpool players are starting to catch up with them. Hey, I hope so, and hopefully it will definitely catch up to them come match week 17. Having said that, we will take a quick break and be back with the preview for the first games of the 2021 calendar year. See you on the other side. What is up, guys? We're back with the second segment of this podcast. We normally just to uh, get straight into the betting part of this, but because of the changes that we have made due to COVID circumstances, Raiden, would you like to tell us all the changes that we've made? Yeah, so it's it's not too different, uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to, instead of a thousand pod bucks to distribute how we like for the matches. We're just going to do straight. Each bet that we make is for a hundred pod bucks. So uh, if one gets canceled, it's not going to have an outside effect on, um, on how our results go because it's all a hundred pod bucks uh, for each match that we bet on. So with that, let's, uh, let's get to it. Spend some pod bucks. Indeed, we are going to start off a bright and early Friday, 1st of January, year of our Lord, 2021. Everton taking on West Ham United. Everton minus 105, West Ham at plus 285. Draw at plus 260, over under at two and a half. David Moyes going back to Goodison. It didn't end very well the last time I remember because uh, he was a Man United manager and was his last game at there. So... <laughs> 
So uh, it's been a while. I don't know any other scorelines from him going back there. Do you think it is going to be a special welcome back for him? Because um, I think Liverpool just got moved to tier three, so they even don't have, get to have fans anymore. Yeah, so I, I don't know how special a welcome it will be. I'm sure the club will do something, uh, and it'll see some old faces, which will be nice. Um, for the match itself, it's it's a little tough to see how it's going to go. I think that, you know, we talked about in the review podcast or part that um, West Ham looked, re- looked pretty solid last game. Again, we talked about David Moyes' team, very defensively solid and organized. But I think that Everton having the extra break is going to make a lot of difference in this match. I, I think that they'll have more energy to buzz around. And, and I think that um, I, it's difficult for me to look past Everton in that match. So I am picking Everton to win. I very much agree with that as well. I'm going to pick Everton in this game just because I think they have better quality. I know that every a lot of things that they're good at um, – West Ham do counter very well with their defense, but I think the game's going to come down to how good Declan Rice can control the uh, the midfield. But with Decore, with Allen, I think it's going to be a bit too much for West Ham and Everton sneak out a win to start off their 2021 bright and early. Moving on to Manchester, we have Man United taking on Aston Villa. Man United minus 140. Villa at plus 340, draw at plus 315, over-unders at three. Uh, I mean, I, I know where I'm betting, so I'm just going to lay it off to you. What do you think? It's tough because I you would typically favor United to beat Villa, but you know we talked off air that this sounds like a little bit of a trap game for Man United, and I do kind of see that. Like Villa are a team that, you know, they came to the Emirates and just beat the shit out of Arsenal there. Uh, and Arsenal were barely even in that match, it felt like. And their team is capable of coming and taking it to you. I think that United have the quality to see this one out, but I'm not sure. It's, I think it's going to be a good match back and forth, and I think it'll be a really entertaining one uh, with two teams that are pretty pretty good attacking teams on both sides. Uh, I'm going to go with the draw in this one. I think that the two teams will play pretty even and I don't know. I can't see that much between these two. I, I do think it's a little bit of a trap game for man United, but I think that they will uh, see it through in the end. Title challengers win this game. And I don't think United are title challengers. And that is why you're going to see us drop some points. Cause at the end of the day, Villa are a very good team. And whenever there is, you know, some sort of vulnerability, they can take advantage of this. United are ha- having played less games, uh, not less games, sorry, having had a short amount of rest going into this game is going to be really, really terrible for them because breaking down this Aston Villa team is not going to be easy. But the incentive is there for Manchester United to go do something. But uh, every time under Solskjaer, we have tried to take the next step. We seem to fail. So I'm going to go with Aston Villa just because I will take a draw as a fan in this situation, but Villa have enough of a path, enough of a presence in this game where I think they will affect. And why am I saying they? There's one guy who's going to affect this game, and we know the guy who's that going to be because he wanted a move. He's apparently dreamed of a move to Man United. I don't know if he's really actually dreaming about a move to Man United or dreaming about all his off the field activities, but Jack Grealish is 
Villa's boy, um, he will want to come out and prove that United really made a mistake by not getting him last summer. And, you know, Bros Barkley, Ollie Watkins, all of these players are going to be fired up. United players seem to not be as fired up at home nowadays for some fucking reason. So there's enough of a door, and I'm going to take Villa. Uh, this is not one of those bets where I'm saying because I want to win, I'm going to bet against them. I think Villa definitely... I, I know why you're laughing. Villa actually have a chance. No, I, I agree, but it's just like, you know, it's a boy who cried wolf here. Hey, if if we win this, and we, I will make sure we go back to our normal betting, because when if we win this, we go to Anfield, I'm putting fucking $910 on Manchester United. <laughs> I love that it. That is promise right now. Having said that, over under three is a bit wild. Uh, we discussed this. Villa score a lot of goals, um, but they don't concede a whole lot. United have a very leaky defense, but they also have a very good goal-scoring record. So if you think it's going to be an entertaining game, uh, you should take the over. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think I see this as being a pretty open game, uh, and and I would look to take the over more than the under. Yeah, uh, that seems fair. The game that I'm very, very excited for, for the in the first game week of 2021 is a Tottenham at home taking on Leeds United. Spurs at minus 125, Leeds at plus 325, draw at plus 295, the over-unders at 3.5. Mourinho's got to smash him, in my opinion. Like, they have to go out and win this game because if Mourinho fails to win this game and Leeds actually come in and put a good performance in, there will be huge question marks about the credentials of Mourinho and is, is he ever going to lead a title challenger ever again? I think that's fair, but I, I do see Spurs winning this match. I think Leeds are going to play in a way that will play right into what Spurs have wanted to do all season, which is mostly sit back in the counter and release uh, Son into space. And I think it will be there for him. And we know that Leeds aren't going to really change what they do. They're going to come out with their high intensity press and while it will probably create chances uh, from time to time, I, I really think the Spurs in the end will get a few quality chances, put them away and I expect them to win this match. I'm going with Spurs to win. Yeah. I'm not going to get too cute. I'm going to go with a Spurs win in this situation as well. I think leads in the way they play, they'll leave enough holes and Mourinho we know he changes changes his tactics week to week in order to you know break down an opponent. I just I just think it'd be hilarious if Leeds come in, outwork Spurs, and beat them. But I don't oh, it'd be envision funny. it would be I mean, funny. Yeah. But um, I I just don't see that happen at least this time around. Uh, moving on to the next game, Crystal Palace at home taking on Sheffield United. Only even odds for Crystal Palace. That is a bit surprising. Sheffield United at plus 290. Draw at plus 245. Over-unders at a two. Sheff- I guess Palace don't score a lot of goals. Sheffield don't concede a lot of goals. So I get- I'm going to go for a draw. What do you think is going to happen in this game? So I, it's tough for me to say for this because I lean towards a draw myself. But then I sit and think about it. And I'm like, I don't understand in what way Burnley are better than Palace. Like I think Palace have better attackers. I think they're probably not quite as good on defense, but I think that they're good enough to stifle 
uh, Sheffield, and I think Palace have a better midfield. And so when I think of when I think of how Sheffield played against Burnley, and I just think of how Sheffield have played this whole season, I'm going with Palace in this match. I wouldn't be surprised to see it be a draw because I, Palace aren't that good, but I do think that this is the type of match that I think Zaha kind of dominates against the lower table teams. He's just going to be the most talented player on the pitch, and that will be evident in this match. Yeah, I definitely agree in that regard. And as far as the team overall goes, I think if the game happens, let's be honest, like Sheffield and I might very well end up not having the game. If Sheffield and I just not are in a position to really go out and score, I just think Palace at times cannot score when they come up against a good defense. And for all the faults of Sheffield United, they are a very good defensive team. So I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. But Zaha, as you rightfully mentioned, it could definitely give them a lot of problems. Moving on to the next game, Brighton at home taking on Wolverhampton. Wonders kind of shocked by this line. Brighton at plus 165, Wolves at plus 180, the draw at plus 220, over-unders at a two. This should be a wide-open game. And I really don't know which way to go, but the fact that Vegas is favoring Brighton seems interesting in my eyes. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that because I I don't think that Brighton should be favored over Wolves. Like I, I do get that Wolves often play down to their competition and they come out and play the bigger teams harder than they do the smaller teams. But the line for all three uh, lines of this, you, for Brighton, Wolves, and the draw, all between plus 165 and plus 220 tells you that all three outcomes are pretty likely in this. I don't know. I think Wolves are just overall the better team. And I I kind of don't agree with you that it's going to be open. I think Wolves will keep it pretty locked down the first half and then be a little bit more expansive in the second. Uh, so I'm going to go with Wolves to win this match. I could also see it being a match that Wolves settle for a draw. Um, but I'm going to favor them to win this one. So I want to favor them. And I think they are the better team. But they also, a lot of the times, like to play down to their competition. And Brighton are a team that can take advantage of it every now and then. I mean, but then again, I'm thinking about their defenders in uh, Brighton. Oh, not sorry, not Brighton. With Wolves. And you got Connor, Connor Cody and company who are going to be very resolute. I, I'm going to go for a draw in this game as well. I think Wolves don't give me enough in games like this where every time... I pick Wolves with very a uh, lot of certainty. It ends up being a situation of them, like, you know, playing down to their opponent. Brighton, for they might not score a lot, but they're going to create a lot of chances. And maybe this is the game. Maybe the turn of the year is going to bring some good luck out at Amex. And uh, we will see Brighton beat Wolverhampton Wanderers. Over under two, I, I would stay away from that. I was trying. I was trying to think of another game that would be a good uh, mix for this, but I really don't know as far as the over under goes. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to touch it. Uh, the only thing that I would be interested in this is if you can find the line of which half is higher scoring. I think the second half is a good bet for that, but I I don't want to touch the over under because I could easily see us being a one nil either way. Yeah, that is a very very true. Moving on to the next game. West Brom and Big Sam at home taking on Arsenal Football Club, who are on a roll trying to get back into the title challenge now. Uh, West Brom at plus 475, 
Arsenal at minus 170. The draw at plus 305. Over-under is at two and a half. How do you feel, sir? I'm sorry. Did you say title change challenge? I said you guys are trying to get back there. Fuck you, man. <laughs> I, I Here's the thing. You guys are doing well, and it makes me very happy when I see Arsenal do well because I, I would rather Arsenal do well than a lot of the other teams that do well. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I understand that. Um, I, I feel the same mostly for United. I, I'm happy to see the kind of blue bloods of the Premier League do it and not kind of some of these upstarts, new money and all that. This match, I don't know. I want to go with Arsenal to keep it going. I just, this this is a team that uh, Big Sam's going to have West Brom fire up to play us. I It's just, I'm always very nervous when we play an Allardyce team because they're just always ready to go against us. And I don't, I think we talked about West Brom getting, you know, getting the draw against Liverpool, getting stomped by Leeds and coming to play Arsenal. I, I just wonder if there's a little bit of getting up to play the bigger teams. And that's going to be enough for me to go with a draw in this match. I, I just, I kind of wonder if it's a little bit too much on the short rest for kind of having to play some of the youngsters that Arsenal are, if they're not quite ready to do this turnaround, uh, like we're being forced to right now. So I'm going with a draw. I'd love to be wrong in the Arsenal way. Hopefully not wrong in the West Brom way, which is possible, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, uh, we will definitely see. And I'm going to go with Arsenal in this game. I know West Brom are going to come out and be a bit defensive, but Arsenal are on a roll. Arsenal are on a roll, which is as hard to say as it's hard to believe. I don't think... West Brom will really have the capacity if the youngsters do play. And at the end of the day, man, they're, what, 18, 19, 20-year-olds? Like, let them play. You know, and no matter what happens in the upcoming FA Cup games and whatnot, it's down to to this, down to winning these games. So I think Arsenal can very well get their third win in a row and kind of build some momentum going into 2021. And... Who knows? Maybe you guys sign a player in January and uh, things start looking very, very different out for Arsenal Football Club. Having said that, a loss here would kind of just be deja vu at that point. I don't really think it would be very new feeling for Arsenal fans. Having said that, let's move on to the next game. Uh, two teams at two different points I have definitely mentioned as the worst fucking teams in the Premier League. But they're neat. they both have showed so far that they're not the worst team in the Premier League. Sheffield United has deserved that crown, and they're going to run away with that crown as things stand. Having said that, Burnley take on Fulham. Burnley at plus 125. Fulham at plus 235, which is fucking wild. Draw at plus 230. Over-under the two. Is there something about Fulham that we know that we don't know that these guys know? Because that is wild. Yeah, I think it's a little crazy, too. And maybe it's a holdover from everyone kind of thinking in the first 10 matches of the season that Fulham were absolutely getting relegated. And and maybe people are a little slow to catch on that they they have had a much sharper turn of form here recently. That said, to me, this match has draw written all over it. I don't I, I think the over under of two is about right. I don't really want that. I I think the. Both teams will pr- struggle to have enough quality to to score goals in this match, and I think that Dyche will be happy with a draw. And 
Fulham will probably play a little bit more progressive, but I think at the end of the day, they'll be happy with a draw as well. Yeah, and while you were speaking, I tried to see if they had announced which players are missing for Fulham, and if that is the case, that um, you know the Fulham lines are as crazy as that are. Um, there don't seem to be any reports. I don't know if this game is going to be played, but I would really like for the Premier League to just take out that one game when the cases happen, and if for four or five days after that you don't have cases... You make you make sure the team plays, um, and if that does happen, I will take Burnley in that situation because I think there is just enough. And if a deflated Fulham comes in, they're just not going to be good enough to beat a Burnley team that seemed to be in some sort of a resurgence that nobody had expected them to be. As things stand, anyway, moving on to the next game: Newcastle United plus four twenty-five against Leicester City. A minus 160 draw at plus 305 over under at two and a half. Seems a bit disrespectful to Newcastle to have them at 425, but um, Leicester are that good. And do you think Jamie Vardy's run is going to just continue? Because ultimately, that's what it's going to come down to for how good Leicester can be this season. Yeah, it's difficult to see why it wouldn't in this match. I don't see Newcastle as a team that are really going to. They're not that great defensively, but, you know, now that you kind of think about it, um, Newcastle are going to sit back and make it tough for Leicester to counter on. And so I do kind of see it as a way that they could slow Vardy down. Overall, though, I think, you know, Leicester are going to have a little bit more rest. They rotated. I think they'll be fresh for this game, and I think they take care of business. Newcastle might make it tough for them, but... Lesser are overall the better team, and I think they get the win here. Yeah, I absolutely concur. I'm going to go with Leicester City in this case as well. I think they're just good, uh, just good enough to go out and win that game. And at the same time, I think Newcastle. This will be a perfect letdown spot. You know, they go out, get the result against Liverpool, feel good about themselves, and then go back to being Newcastle, the team we know. However. Leicester do have a hard time breaking teams down that are just going to sit back. So if there is another Steve Bruce special against a team that's up against Man United competing for a top four spot, I will definitely fucking take it. Thank you, Brucey. Moving on to the penultimate game, a game that I would love to see happen. Chelsea Football Club at plus 200, taking on Manchester City at plus 125. Draw is at plus 275. Over and at three. I don't know if this game is going to happen, but if it does, I'm going to just, let's just imagine that uh, Jesus and Kyle Walker are not going to be playing. Do you think City are still favorites for the game? I mean, without, I I don't know that Kyle Walker is going to make that much of a difference in this match. I do think that Jesus being out could be problematic, especially, uh, I'm assuming Aguero is not 90 minute ready yet, even though he's been playing a little bit more uh, recently. To me, that would be a little bit of a problem and would make this a little bit closer. But, you know, plus 125 and plus 200 really aren't that far apart uh, when you're talking about odds as match. So I think that, you know, this is a pretty weak favorite that uh, Bovada has City at. And so it wouldn't surprise me. You know, if we get more news about City and, you know, we we also don't know if there might be anyone else <laughs> that that gets drug into this uh, along with Jesus and Kyle Walker. So I don't know. There's a lot up in the air uh, for this team for me in that line of thinking. I think that this is a decent 
bounce back for Chelsea. Uh, I think that they've had some, I don't want to say they're necessarily unfortunate in the Arsenal match. I think that, you know, there were a few things that could have gone the other way and could have been a different result, but that and the Villa match, you know, they got the draw. It's been a little bit of a tough run for them, but it hasn't, it hasn't necessarily been because Chelsea are bad. They just haven't gotten the right run of luck for them. So I think this is a match that when you think about how you beat city and you beat them with pace on the counter attack and such, and, and you think about, um, you know, Mendy last season project restart when just being caught on the ball and, you know, Chelsea breaking and kind of breaking that game open to, to give Liverpool the title, unfortunately. And I, I really think this is a Chelsea team that is set up to do that against city. So I'm going to go with Chelsea having a bit of a back, uh, a bounce back and, you know, getting everyone back on side. And Frank is the best manager in the Premier league again. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I'll keep apologizing uh, for disrespecting Frank Lampard earlier in the season. I Jokes aside, though, I, I think it's gone a, a little bit too haywire with everybody wanting Lampard out now. Like, I, not everybody. There are people on social media who've gone a bit too fucking crazy. I, I think, as you said, decent bounce back spot. I don't quite feel confident in picking them to win, but... This is a make-or-break game for Lampard, and I think the players love him. I think he is a good enough manager to get a result in this game. So I'm going to go with Chelsea to win this game because for all that's worth, Manchester City just have not looked good so far. And just based on the evidence so far, like, yes, there are times that Chelsea haven't looked good either, but Chelsea have looked cohesive from time to time. Man City have just looked a bunch of individual brilliances trying to make things happen. So I'm going to go with Chelsea and we will be having a very different conversation about either team if they end up losing this game, though. I think, and yes, COVID-19 will make things def- difficult, but, you know, uh, the Premier League released a statement earlier today that all the fixtures for Manchester City are going to continue as usual because the people who had tested positive were isolated, blah, blah, blah. So we shall hope that there are no more positive cases. And Chelsea, if y'all could, uh, you know, take care of business, it would be fucking great to laugh at uh, Pep Guardiola next week this time. Moving on to the final game of the weekend. Very rarely do you see this. The Youth Academy taking on the actual first team in a Premier League game. Liverpool under 23s, a.k.a. Southampton. Plus 395, taking on Liverpool at minus 155. The draw is at plus 330. Over-under is at a three. How are you feeling about this game? Yeah, so this is a match I think you should smash the over on. I think that it will be pretty open. And we've talked about Southampton. And when, when they've struggled in the past, it's been with pace and behind. And when you think about how Liverpool want to attack teams, that's exactly what they want to do, right? Is they want to get Mane, they want to get uh, Salah in behind and just running at your defenses as fast as I can. I think that'll be difficult for um, Southampton have really tall center backs who are very physical and very good at what they do, but what they do is not run with, um, not run with pacey players. And so 
I think Southampton are going to find themselves in a tricky situation more than once in this match. Liverpool at minus 155. I usually don't love to go with minus favorites, especially when it's much more than like minus 120 or so. But I'm pretty confident that Liverpool take care of business here. Um, and I'm going to go with Liverpool. Yeah, uh, I think Liverpool, this seems like a position where they will bounce back. They will make sure to get their act together. And this is a game that they have to win. Uh, They have to win, not in the sense that it'll make or break their season, but they have to win just to get the momentum going again because, you know, a couple of draws, because I thought, or both of us thought, after that uh, win against Spurs in the fashion that, that the win happened, it was, you know, about to turn up Liverpool were about to become Liverpool of last season and it just you know has fallen flat it's been shades of what we saw against Fulham so this is going to be a game that is there for the taking and Southampton just the way they play play into Liverpool's hands right they're gonna try to press you high they're gonna try to leave those spaces open behind and unless unless actually let me rephrase it unless they Southampton can actually do something with their set pieces in this game Liverpool's defense has been bad recently. I mean, by bad, I don't mean that they are conceding a shit ton of goals or anything like that, but they look vulnerable. They look more mortal than they have recently. And Southampton are a team. They don't need a high XG chance to keep scoring. They can score those uh, really like 0.07 free kick by uh, James Warbrows to make a 1-1 kind of a situation. So I do think Southampton have a path, but I just don't feel comfortable Given the odds, given what uh, we're trying to bet on this week, I'm going to go with Liverpool. But my goodness, imagine United win and uh, Liverpool end up losing this game. That would be a heck of a start to 2021. Scenes. I mean, yes. Scenes start to 20... Like, it, it would start 2021 in the best possible way for a lot of us who had the worst 2020 possible. However, I am very excited to you know get done with 2020 uh it's been a wild year we really have never had a premier league season quite like this including the previous one never had to talk about premier league through uh june and july so before we go this is our last podcast for 2020 i'm gonna ask so we can go back and forth like a quick draft um you made more money than me last or we both got three i'm gonna let you go first um if you had to pick three favorite Premier League moments, per, pick pick them personally. You don't got to pick Liverpool. Just a Liverpool win for the one for the first time in thirty years. Um, personally, <laughs> what what was your like three best? We'll go one after the other. That is tough. We're talking about for the whole year, right? So, yeah, just the calendar year. Hmm. I don't know. As an Arsenal fan, it's been a lot of really rough moments. Um, so it's tough to pick out exactly. I don't uh, know. For all our listeners, I just put him on the spot. So uh, don't think like this is rehearsed on all our reactions or anything. Yeah. So I'm going to go for top moment. I, I'm not necessarily going to say that it's top in terms of my favorite, but it's one of the moments that made me go, oh, shit, is when I found out that um, – Mikel Arteta had tested positive for COVID. And that's kind of what set the whole thing in motion that we have. And it's kind of like, I don't know. There were certain moments when you think of back in the pandemic. And so one was that when we talk about the Premier League and that frame mindset, but also like when the NBA just shut down 
<laughs> I had one night. Oh like, yeah. Like all of a sudden, like you got a text and it was basically like the the uh Utah Jazz are like we're yeah, done. Yeah, Gobert or somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like like all of these games were just abruptly canceled, like ten minutes to tip off, and you're just like, oh no, this this like pandemic is really happening. Uh, so I, I realize that's a little bit darker, but it's you know it for me it's one of the most impactful moments that stands out where it's like you get that little alert on your phone that says, "Oh, the killer tested Arteta tested positive," and well, <laughs> what's gonna happen now? Hey, um, what should have happened was the league should be null and void, but uh, that didn't end up happening. However. My so you you can give us the bad side. I'll give us a good side of 2020 and be a little bit optimistic. I really enjoyed the rise of on a personal level Mason Greenwood. He I thought really you know hit a stride, especially after post restart where he was playing really well, did absolutely phenomenal. And I think um, yeah, as a United fan, Mason Greenwood one of the uh, bright bright things coming out of 2020. Yeah, I I think that's a good pick. Like he and. You know, I guess the thing piggybacking off of that a little bit, it's not just um, Mason Greenwood, but there's a number of youngsters that I think have kind of come in and made impact. I think of Saka at Arsenal, kind of a kid that was more or less nowhere, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, th- this kid's really good. And then just a lot of young players, I feel like, blossomed a little bit this season. And, and it's really exciting time. I think if you're a fan of the Premier League, um, there's a lot of young players that have a good future ahead of them. Absolutely. So what is your second pick? So for my second pick, it's going to be a moment that we had a lot of fun on this podcast uh, with, and it's going to be, um, (laughs) okay, go ahead. It's going to be as Sar just ending Liverpool's flawless run Finally, me um, not having to worry about there being another invincible for all the grief that Troy Deeney has given Arsenal at times in the past, like him and Watford finally, uh, finally putting that to bed was uh, was a great moment for me personally. Yeah. And I, I think it was even even more hilarious that both of us kind of just named the guys who ended up ended up on the score sheet for the day because it very rarely does that happen that you can, you know, kind of see an upset like that coming. We did, we probably took it for the odds. I'll have to go back and listen. But, um, hey, it, it was one of the best days in a very long time, just seeing Liverpool fans were distraught as to what was going on. And, um, it, yeah, one of, one of the better days of 2020 for sure. Um, for me, and much uh, to be honest, as far as an Arsenal fan hating on Troy Deeney, they did get and an, did did end up getting relegated. So even though they helped make sure they weren't uh, invincible anymore, didn't really help them in the long run. So you got like the best of both worlds in that situation. Um, I guess the, my second favorite moment has has to be when Bruno arrived. I mean, the, there was so much hype. There was so much, you know, this player is amazing. Look at the stats. But I mean, it, putting those up in um, whatever the league is called in uh, Port- the Portuguese league. I'm not going to try to butcher that name. I-, I was like, hey, that's not the Premier League. He's going to have an adjustment period. We'll see how that goes. I mean, the adjustment period was a game against his countrymen in Wolves, his first Premier League debut. And then since then, he's just taken off most uh, goal contributions in a single calendar year. 
for a midfielder, most contributions for a Man United player in a calendar, I believe, which, I mean, it's insane how he's come in and kind of transformed. And I know there are a lot of people who are like, you know, Grealish is better, uh, Kevin De Bruyne is better and blah, blah, blah. Bro, they can be better, but like, can we just enjoy what Bruno has done this year? Because in a year that had so much uncertainty, in a year that had so much, you know, um, just fear of what might happen next, the only thing you knew for sure was in the 90 minutes that Bruno Fernandes was playing, he was either going to get a penalty or he was going to get an assist. So most often than not, it happened. And that's how he ended up with the more goal contributions than matches played. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's... Uh... That's really solid. Um, he's been a he's been a revelation for you guys. I I thought he would be good, and I thought he was a type of player that you needed when he came. But I I didn't expect this impact for sure. Um, and it's been it's been really something to watch. Like a, a little jealous of teams having an effective ten as opposed to having one who just gets three hundred fifty k a week, but. That's a, that's a whole separate thing. Um, hey, uh, I mean, if anything, man, uh, twenty twenty one could be the year uh, for Smithrow to really take a stride in that Arsenal jersey. Hey, I'll take it. Um, so for my last one, um, I'm going to go to was probably the feel good story of all of last season, and it's not really a moment. It's just like the entire season. It's going to be Sheffield United uh, getting fifty four points. Uh, and Chris Wilder just leading them to a truly great campaign. It's been a rough start for them this season, but that shouldn't take away from how well they did last year to almost getting European football this year. It's just really, really impressive, and you can't say enough about it. Really fun to watch that team last season. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had a lot of fun on this podcast. Uh, talking about Sheffield United and there was just something special there, you know, like they didn't have, they really had nobody other than like Dean Henderson. I really knew of, and you just saw a team that was playing for each other, that was playing for the manager and, you know, the system was working and it, in the, everything that has happened this season is kind of like what everybody expected for last season as well. But the fact that it was a disappointment that they missed out on European football tells you how much they achieved last year. And as you said, feel good story. Um, Sheffield United, I will definitely miss you. And I hope uh, you come back very, very soon. Um, for me, the last pick is going to be a moment we together uh, right before everything shut down because the pandemic, the last Premier League game before uh, everything shut down and the pandemic, the Manchester derby where 90th minute Scott McTominay scores from almost the halfway line. And it was pandemonium at Old Trafford at the bar we were at. I mean, it it's one of the more uh, fun moments we've had as just as, fo- as a football fan, unless you're a Man City fan or uh, as a man, especially as a Manchester United fan uh, for the past, you know, since 2013. And one of the primary things that like came out of it was because that happened, Throughout the lockdown, at no point I was worried because I was like, you know what, we're a good team because that was my last memory. All the bad shit that had happened before that would just kind of vanish. I'm like, hey, we're a good team and we just beat Man City 2-0 at home. So um, it, it, that the McTominay goal is definitely going to be a moment that I will remember for a very, very long time. And uh, hey, glad uh, you were there with me to share that special moment before pre-pandemic times when we could 
hug and have a good time. Yeah, I know. That seems like ages ago in the before <laughs> times. Um, but yeah, it, that was a it just as being a fan of watching the game I, that that was a great game to watch because it was such a you never really want to count Manchester United out just when you think of all their history. But City were firm favorites in that match and just, you know, I just kind of methodically took them apart. Like it wasn't a domination necessarily, but it was an acceptance of we can neutralize what you do and we can uh, find your weakness. And that that's just how it played out. And, and that McTominay goal was really something. Yeah. I mean, if you are going to score a goal against your local rivals, if you're a local lad, I mean, he's not a local lad, but he's been at United since he was seven or eight years old. So pretty much as local as Sir Alex Ferguson was from Scotland. So uh, on that note, I will say happy birthday to Sir Alex Ferguson on the 31st of December. Happy New Year to all of you who are listening to us. Make sure to subscribe, review, and uh, give us all the comments on what do you think about this. And please, please, please do not go crazy on New Year's Eve and uh, be the reason for, you know, more COVID cases come 2021. Yeah, don't do that. Like, just stay at home. Don't go to a shitty bar um, New Year's Eve party. Just if you if you're going to have something, do it close with friends. Be careful. Be safe. Let's all let's all get through this as soon as we can. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and that light seems visible, and we shall see you with our first episode of 2021 very soon. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye.